Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them, and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows to you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you, saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Hope you're staying safe and doing well. A great guest lined up for you today. David Fisdale, my friend, known him for over a decade, former New York Knicks and Memphis Grizzlies head coach, longtime Miami Heat assistant coach to Eric Spolstra. He is also part of the new National Basketball Coaches Association Committee on Racial Injustice and Reform. So even though Coach Fizz isn't officially coaching in the NBA right now, he was still asked to be a part of this committee, which I think is great. This is a very important conversation today, so I hope that you take time to listen carefully. If you don't learn at least a few new things today, you're probably not paying very close attention. I'm joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing good. And Fizz is one of those guys that's just, uh, just a smart guy. We've had him at the PR summit and it was great to meet him and his wife. And he's just, uh, so intelligent. And this is just a heartfelt, uh, spoken from the heart conversation. And it's just open and candid and he's, uh, very insightful. I love it. Yeah. We all need to do a lot of listening right now. And I would urge you to listen to Coach Fizdale. And, you know, for the stick to sports crowd, sorry. As I told you on our show last week, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to use our platform to educate, to make us all smarter, and hopefully make our world a better place. Before we get to our conversation with Coach Fizdale, I'm going to give you a few resources that I found helpful for this interview and have continued to find helpful. Number one, go to the website, 8cantwait.org, 8cantwait.org. I think they have some really good ideas, some tangible data there that uh, I'd like you to pay attention to, educate yourself. Also, I've been listening to DeRay McKesson, who is actually a friend of Coach Fizz's, and he has a podcast called Pod Save the People. Pod Save the People. I would urge you to listen to that podcast as well. Without further ado, when we come back, my conversation with David Fizdale. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm thrilled to tell you about a new sports business radio partner who's going to help you and whose products have been life-changing for me and my family. CBDMD is now the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio. Many people use CBD products as a regular part of their health and wellness routines, but only the best use superior products from CBDMD. CBDMD has a wide variety of CBD oil products ranging from classic CBD oil tinctures to topicals, gummies, heck, they even have CBD for your pets. From NFL veterans like Nate Burleson and future Hall of Famer Steve Smith Sr. to two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson, CBDMD is tested and trusted by people who know pain. And the best part? All CBDMD products are THC-free. That was important for me. Third-party tested and backed by a 60-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. Look, 
These are anxious times for many of us right now. We're not sleeping nearly as well. I tried CBDMD's award-winning CBD PM Drops, and I now sleep through the night. My daughter loves CBDMD's Revive Moisturizing Lotion and the CBDMD Freeze Pain Roller for her aches and pains from playing sports. And our dog loves the CBDMD Soft Shoes. And because the products are all THC-free, CBDMD is safe for our family. Dozens of companies have sent me CBD product to try over the years, but none come close to the superior quality of CBDMD. Sleep better, relieve your aches and pains, give your pets treats that they will love. And to make it even easier to see what CBD can do for you, CBDMD is offering all of our listeners 25% off your order when you use the promo code SBR at checkout. Once again, go to cbdmd.com and use promo code SBR at checkout to save 25% on your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. Again, cbdmd.com, use the promo code SBR at checkout and save 25%. Thank me later. My guest is David Fisdale. He is the former New York Knicks and Memphis Grizzlies head coach, longtime Miami Heat assistant coach. I've known Coach Fizz for over a decade. Coach Fizz, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. I really wanted to bring you on. Your your voice is a very important one, especially during these times. How are you? I'm doing well, brother. I appreciate it. First, let me congratulate you and Natasha on the pending arrival of your new baby boy. I am thrilled for you guys. So congratulations. Thanks, man. We are we are truly excited and overjoyed and really looking forward to uh, bringing a young leader into this world. Yes, we need young leaders. And uh, if your son is anything like you, that's going to be great for our world. So very excited for you. <laughs> Thanks, brother. So we've known each other a long time. Um, you are biracial. You grew up in South Central Los Angeles. We've discussed this when you've been on before, and, and I know you've talked to the Undefeated and other outlets about it. You have personally been the victim of police profiling. Maybe you can – let's just start there because you have grown up in South Central and, you know, you, you've seen a lot of things – regarding the police firsthand in your life yeah you know uh it's it's crazy how normalized it was uh for us you know we just figured that's what it was um you know for black people and for brown people um you know as you grew up especially during the time that the, the you know where the war on drugs quote unquote the war on drugs hit our, our community um you know, it was just, a, you just assumed that that's how it was going to be. You know, if you're walking down the street, the police ride by, they were going to say something to you or, or stop and frisk you. Um, if you were in a car with, with other black kids, you would probably get pulled over and, and not routinely like, uh, our normal white citizens would probably get pulled over where you just get your, they ask for your license and registration. Uh, it was more, uh, guns drawn. And you had to back up to them with your hands up. And, you know, you were often left in the street uh, on your knees for for an hour, you know, while they did their research. You, you, you looked like a suspect in some type of situation was always what they used to tell us. Uh, you know, oftentimes was, was slammed around. And, you know, they have this little technique where, where your fingers are interlaced together behind your head where they could squeeze your fingers and, 
basically feels like your fingers are going to shatter. And, you know, I said this in my piece, you know, you, you know, when they really got tired of hearing your mouth or you, you, you know, you, you, you asked for help or, or told them to, to back off at all. You got a baton to the back of the legs or you got what was considered a famous chokehold in the, the LAPD chokehold, uh, which uh, killed many African-American men uh, in my community. It's just horrible. I mean, look, I have many black and brown friends and, you know, they've told me they have to have talks with their kids about here's how you de-escalate a situation if a police officer approaches you. I'm white. I've never had to deal with any of that. Where do you think we get? I mean, look, Coach Fitz, we don't come out of the womb racist. We don't come out of the womb with, with preconceived notions of anything. Where does this develop? It's taught. It's taught. It's, you know, you got to understand our country was founded on, uh, on the issue of, of white supremacy and that we weren't human. Uh, you know, when they, when Africans were stole out of, out of Africa and put into bondage, you know, um, you know, we, we, we were considered subhuman and many to many people today were still considered subhuman. But when, when your ancestors start, you know, the, a country like that, you know, with the, with the genocide of, of Native Americans and with the enslavement of, of Africans, uh, you know, that can only be passed down. You know, what do people teach their kids? They teach them what they know. And so, you know, for hundreds of years, this has been passed down through the generations. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously it has dissipated some as people have become more conscious of, of what's right and what's wrong and things like that. But there is still a strong element of, you know, generational hate and white supremacy in our country. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, since this president has been nominated, uh, it has made a huge resurgence and it has been empowered to show its face, uh, in the strongest way. So, uh, you know, it's a wake up call to America. I think everybody thought when we nominated a black president for eight years that, oh, we're good. But, even during that time, black men were being killed by the police. Uh, even though President Obama was trying to work to, to get this stuff out, uh, he met, he met resistance at, at, at every turn, uh, from the Republican Party when it came to this. We're going to put a bill into, right now, a bill is going to be proposed to the Senate. And I'd bet my salary that that bill doesn't have a chance on the Senate floor because Republicans who probably have been taught the same crap will not even give it a chance because the Democrats are proposing this and it's needed. And so, you know, hate, hate is a taught thing. And, uh, we have to either, you know, one, we have to pass laws that, that, uh, punish it when it's acted upon. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can through education can get some people to understand, you know, why it's useless in our, in our society. I want to go back to some more solutions in a minute, but I've done my research and I want to bring some stats forward with the police just to show how bad this is. Mm -hmm. According to DeRay McKesson, he's the host of Pod Save the People and he also works on Campaign Zero. It's my friend. He's a friend of mine. That's amazing. Yeah, I I mean, every time I listen to him speak, I'm like, wow, he is, he's really a remarkable person. Um, Yep. 
A third of all people killed in the United States by a stranger are actually killed by a police officer. Think about that for a minute. A third of all people yeah. killed in the United States by a stranger are killed by a police officer. This is the one that's truly stunning to me. In March and April of 2020, the police killed as many people as they did in March and April of 2019. This year, we have been quarantined. We've been in our homes. This has been during COVID. There has been a decrease in crime. Still, as many people killed last year, 2019 by police have been killed this year. That's, that's stunning to me. Yeah, there's been an overall decrease in crime all over the country in general before COVID. But the numbers are still at an incredible rate where the cops are killing people. And so it goes to show you not even the fact that they're killing people is, is changing anything. It's just that they're going to keep killing people. Think about this. Out of 365 days this year, only 27 days uh, that we had this year where police didn't kill somebody. Oh, my God. Think about that. that that's, that's incredible. So, so to every other day of the year, the police somewhere killed somebody. And that just goes to show you we have a serious issue with the way our police behave in this country. Yeah, here's another stat, and I think this is telling. Only 12, 12. Of the 18,000 police departments in the United States have a staff of over 30% black officers. So that tells you, you know, there's very few black police officers on the force. It's, it's mostly white police officers that are out there. The other thing is bans on chokeholds and strangleholds, like the one that was used on George Floyd to kill him. Only 28 of the U.S.'s largest 100 police departments ban chokeholds and strangleholds. This is another big problem. When a white police officer approaches a black person, they're using these strangleholds and chokeholds. And, you know, Coach Fizz, now we're seeing these things on video, right? Like we are seeing the police brutality on video. That wasn't the case 30 or 40 years ago. Now we're seeing it like we did with George Floyd. And if that doesn't get to you as a human being, I don't know what does. Well, I think that's the point is, is it is getting to people, but the issue is the people that it's not getting to is drawing a distinct line between the two groups and it's showing you where the hate lies. Um, you know, how can you watch a man beg for his life, beg for his mother, uh, and watch the life leave his body? And then after he has been dead for three minutes, the guy finally takes his knee off of his neck, um, you know, and, and did it with such with just such poise and just no no regard for human life. And the only time I've ever seen someone killed like that or something killed like that was on a safari. I saw I saw a lion kill a, a, another big cat. And when lions do that, it's a message to everybody else to stay away. And so it just held this animal in its mouth, um, you know, for an extended amount of time to send a message. Hmm. And so it's, you know, that is what he was doing, was sending a message to those people that were standing there watching 
the death, uh, 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 the murder of George Floyd and, you know, basically letting them know this could be you. Yeah. Well, this de- this particular police department in Minneapolis had been having problems for a long, long time. And to me, maybe this is a step in the right direction. Over the weekend, Minnesota City Council pledged to dismantle the city's police department, vowing to create a new public safety system. Is that a step in the right direction? I mean, look, could it get much worse than, than what we've seen from the Minneapolis police so far? No, it can't. And I mean, it could, but I think it's a huge step. I think it's important that we start to look at rebuilding this whole idea of policing and communities from the ground up. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know about the fraternal order of police, but this is a union. And I don't even like calling them a union because to me, they're gangsters. They, they, these guys have their hooks so deep into politicians into the implementation of, of, of policy and accountability for those policies uh, that uh, a lot of people don't know who these guys are. And I think what what the Minneapolis Police Department is saying is that we're going to take the power away from them and just rebuild this thing from the ground up and stop letting our politicians and, and people that are making decisions be influenced by this. These are the guys who told those cops in Buffalo to resign after the, the two cops pushed over the old white gentleman mm-hmm. uh, in the protest. These are the guys who fight to get these guys back pay after they murder a, a kid in the street and get their jobs back after they murder guys in the street and are found not guilty or not even charged because of the power of the fraternal order of police. And we need to be able to shed a light on this group because they've hid in the shadows for too long. Uh, they're, the, the way they've operated, and the, if you go and read up on these guys, you look at some of the comments uh, that they made about George Floyd's death, it's sickening. It's really sickening. And it, it's, uh, it's about time that they see that they are not the almighty and that we as a people have the power. What do you think a new public safety system could look like? I mean, that's a deep question, but you know, when I saw this news, I was like, okay, you know, there needs to be a safety system of of some sort in place. I think this is absolutely the right move. And and frankly, I think this should be done nationwide, like you just uh, alluded to. But what do you think that safety system could look like? Who's in charge of that? Is it a, you know, homeland security type of thing with oversight from them? Or is it still managed on the local level? I think it's managed on the local level, but I think it has to be a community panel selected people that come from all walks of life within the community who do oversight on their police departments and who have subpoena power and who have the power to bring people to justice because until we have you know have say so cuz think about this we pay the police we pay salary the police are paid through our taxes right. that's but they don't have any there's no accountability or no transparency to what they are doing that's the only, I can't even believe that that's even a, a, the case. But what I think it looks like is at first, I think it has to be a community panel that over, that has oversight. Um, I think it is, it's re, it's redefining what is a police officer. You know, to me, the police are there as, they're to serve the community. They are community service officers. They are not, I, I hate this term law enforcement. 
um, because it just puts such a, a, a emphasis on they're the end all to if the law is broken. Well, the community needs a lot more than that from the officers in their community. That's just it's just the facts, and so I think we have to put real measures in place of what is allowed and what's not allowed by these community service officers, you know, and that's why I think D-Ray has a, a an incredible platform with the eight that can't wait. Um, you know, if, if you haven't read this, I think it's important that people go on eight, eight can't wait.org to see these eight measures that they put uh, uh, to all mayors of, of all counties that, you know, certain things like you can't choke someone. You can't, uh, you can't shoot at a moving car, uh, because what happens after you shoot a driver of a moving car? That car's still going, you know, things like that. Uh, you have to de, you have to do everything in your power under your training to de-escalate situations. And that's uh, not, that's what's not happening. Is there, you know, like I've seen video, I saw a video, uh, I think Rex Chapman might have posted it. There's a white guy that comes out of his house swinging a hatchet and a knife at the police. They de-escalate with him, but if it's a black person, you get shot 48 times. I mean, it, it's so unbelievably different in how it's handled. It, it's vile to me. The guy that shot up the church in uh, South Carolina is yeah. alive today. Hmm. He went in there and killed nine black people who were there meeting about you know church activities and, doing, and, and worshiping God. And this man goes in and kills these people. And he did not get killed. Yeah. If that was a black man, could you imagine what would have happened under those circumstances? I mean, it is, uh, it's such, uh, so hypocritical. Uh, and my thing is, I don't want anyone to die. Right. I don't want anyone to, to, to but, but the fact that black men seem to just be disproportionately get murdered, uh, uh, by the police, especially unarmed black men, uh, you know, it's, it's just sickening and it's time for something to take place uh, to create change. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAZ and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Well, the other thing that blows my mind, Coach, is it seems like in any other form of business, if you're going to hire someone, you vet them. You look at their past history and their record. With police... Someone will do something, a white officer like the one that killed George Floyd, and then you come to find, oh, this person had 13 previous mishaps on their record or, you know, did something vile 13 previous times. Is anyone paying attention to this? It just seems to lack complete common sense. 
again, that goes back to the fraternal order of police and what they have been able to suppress. How is it that you're not keeping statistics that are transparent to the community? Right. That doesn't make sense. Like, first off, you, you should be documenting every incident and everything that happens that has potential violence or force. Like, one of D-Ray's things is anytime a cop pulls a gun, that should be charted as a use of force. Right. I've had guns pulled on me by the police so many times in my life, especially my childhood, that I lost count. Do you know what that does to you traumatically to know that all it takes is a slip up or one, one false move and you're getting shot up or dead? It's, it's, it's traumatizing. And so those are not being documented. And then you should be able to look at, you should be able to go online and find that a record, the, the, the record of officers, uh, if it's good or bad. Uh, if a guy's going for a new job, his, his, his employers should be able to, potential employers should be able to go look at these records and say, okay, man, look, you got six things against you. Here, you know, here's the severity of these things. We can't hire you, <laughs> you know, and I think the, 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 you know, as you talk about hiring practices, I think it's before it goes further than that, Brian. I think what we're not doing is we're not recruiting the right kind of people into law enforcement to start with. Agreed. You know, you know, it starts from the crops and, you know, are we screening these young people that are coming into the academy? You know, I, I said this on another interview, every player that comes through our doors through the draft, our young people, they get psychological exams. They get all kind of different type of tests to find out who they are as a person, what they stand for, what they believe in, where are their strengths, weaknesses, you know, do they have mental health issues, all of these different things. Have they suffered trauma throughout their life? Like, how are we not finding this out before these guys are even going through the training and through the, 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 the those protocols? And so I think, you know, a lot of people brush over that, but – you know, being a basketball coach, recruiting to me is the is the bloodline of of all sports. Well, and right? by the college way, basketball, college football. What do you do? You go to high schoolers and you find you try to find the best, not only best talent but the best character, right? Athletes that you can possibly find, and then you build that person up as a man. Now we're talking about people that's carrying guns. Who have the right to kill right. if they if they deem necessary? So if this person has past issues, or say this person was raised racist, you can figure that out through the proper questioning and the proper examinations. And those are the people that we cannot allow to even go through the training process of being an officer. Yeah, I, I hope the system gets torn down and rebuilt in the way that. Minneapolis is trying to do this and that the vetting, the heavy vetting, because like you said, these are you're being recruited to be put into life or death situations. You're not being recruited to play sports. This is very, very serious stuff. And, you know, if you have someone who has a history of violence in their past, you do not want them being part of the the safety system and the, the solution. Let me go back to. Rodney King, you know, you and I both lived in Los Angeles. I don't know if you knew that I lived in L.A. during that time, too. It's a, yeah, I started working with the Blazers right during that time. So 1992. As a matter of fact, I was at the Lakers-Blazers game the night the riots broke out 
at the forum. Mm-hmm. Yep. And wow. I mean, that really made an imprint on my life. And I was young enough that I, I watched that trial. And to me, it was a foregone conclusion because there was actually video of those officers beating Rodney King. So you're kind of like, okay, they're going through the motions here. They have to go through trial. But of course, they're going to, you know, not be police anymore and they're going to get put in jail. And when it went the other way, you saw what happened. But I look at that 28 years ago and I go, in some ways, we're no better than we were then. The only difference, like we said earlier, is there's more instances where these police brutalities are being caught on camera. But it seems like in America, and this is one of my frustrations, I don't want to get too political, but we only pay attention to things that impact us, and then we only make noise about it for a short amount of time. So my concern with what's going on right now is that this lasts a month, and then it goes away, and we go back to what things were. This needs to last as long as it takes until the system is fixed. Agreed? I totally agree. And uh, that's, that's definitely been the issue uh you know, throughout throughout history, is that we're outraged in the moment, uh, and I, and I just believe people are very visual, and when they don't see it a lot, they they see it as an anomaly. You know, the, the Rodney King thing, as outraged as we were in the community, and because we knew what was happening, and it was happening to us on a regular basis, the rest of the world and, and the rest of white America just looked at it like. Well, this doesn't really happen all the time. And if you even go back into that trial, you know, I've, I've studied that, you know, deeply. And you can you can even go online and read up about it. They made that whole thing. They painted that whole thing out to be Rodney King's fault. Right. Rodney King was speeding. And I don't even know how, how, how fast he really could have been going because he was in an old Hyundai. So let's be realistic about it. I, I used to have a Hyundai. That thing couldn't get over 75. So... <laughs> You know, but but at the end of the day, if you read the transcripts from the trial, when the judge is handing down his verdict on these cops, he blames Rodney King right there directly that if Rodney King had 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 uh, antagonized these cops and had, you know, had had a, hadn't had resisted, we wouldn't be in this situation. Now, anybody watching that video with any kind of common sense can see this man is being killed. Yeah. He's being beaten to death. He's being tasered to death. And what what do you want a person to do when they're losing their life? They can't sit still. Your normal human, your, your survival instinct is to not at least sit still. You're going to try to get into a position where you can live or protect yourself. It's like, and so, you know, to, to see how that, how the system from start to finish worked against Rodney King, was something that, you know, we thought was going to change things. And when it didn't, and when those cops were set free, you know, we were outraged, obviously. But we just, at that time, we felt like it was just us fighting for ourselves. And that's why it escalated to such a fever pitch and never really became the protest that you're seeing today because we were just mad and we had no idea of how we can change this. So it just turned, it, it turned into chaos in a lot of ways. And I think now what you're seeing is a, a, a more, uh, I would say informed public on not only the outrages of what's happening because of the, the camera phone, but because of the spread of information, people are really up to speed on 
what is really happening behind the scenes to keep these practices in place. And so that's why I'm encouraged that we actually have a chance to make change this time because you just have a much more informed public on the protocols that have led to this and what is needed to be done to change it. The other thing that's going to change this is big, high-profile organizations supporting the right actions. And i got to tell you, Coach Fizz, I've got friends at the NFL. I was really surprised over the weekend at the video that Roger Goodell put out, pleasantly surprised. And, you know, it said, we, the NFL, condemn racism and systematic oppression of black people. We, the NFL, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the NFL, believe black lives matter. That league had been kicking and screaming to, you know, not say those words, to admit they were wrong. And not that the NFL is the be-all, end-all, but they are the biggest sports league in the United States. And for them to come out and admit that they were wrong, I think that's a big step forward. I do, you know, and, and unfortunately, I'm still angry about them because, uh, you know, one, what they put Cap through, right, and the fact that they that they basically just blackballed him out of the league for, for for protesting the right way and trying to bring attention to this before we ever got to this moment, um, you know, two because uh, it took this to get them to actually, you know take a stand and on the right side of things you know it's it's a, it's unbelievable to me that the way that they you know they what they basically did and this and let's just be real about it is they put a certain faction of their fans ahead of their players and a whole nother group of people that watched their their product and so it's been that you know to 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 no end. I've been frustrated with the NFL for that. On the other side of it, I am glad that they are finally coming around, and I do think that we have to welcome people that are having a change of heart and a, and an aha moment into the movement to help get this thing over the top because it's gonna take all of us. When you talk about things that are systemic, and when you really dig into what that means. You know, it goes through, it's in the NFL. You look at, at black executives, black coaches, uh, not getting the opportunities, uh, that, that, that they deserve. It is in our economics. It's in our, it's in our housing. It's in our, our, the distribution of food. You know, most, uh, all over the country, we have black communities that are food deserts, uh, that have no grocery stores that can provide healthy food and things like that. So this is, this is deep rooted and, the only way it's going to change is that the, the people at the top, the people that make the big money, the people that are rubbing shoulders with policymakers that are donating to campaigns have to get actively involved and make this a real issue. Yeah. You had a really interesting sentence in your piece that you wrote for The Undefeated. You said, no matter how powerful, how rich, or how famous you become, racism is an inevitable obstacle that black men face. I mean, if you think about it, 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 no matter, you know, you've, you've done such a great job. You've, you know, made it from South Central Los Angeles. You're very successful now. 
but you still face racism just like, you know, a, a young kid living in South Central L.A. would. No doubt about it. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if I'm not standing on the sideline or if I'm not on ESPN talking about basketball, as soon as I walk out of that building, you know, I just become a normal black man again. And so everything that, that comes with that, with being black, I'm, I'm dealing with the same things. And even when I'm in those buildings, you know, there is still, you know, this, this elephant in the room of what I can do as a black man, uh, you know, and that's why I wrote about the piece, I wrote in the piece that it's, it's extremely important that we, we put it out in the open that, uh, black men who make it, quote unquote, make it, are able to be leaders for their community and protest with dignity and class in the right way. We are, unfortunately for us, we can't erase the history that's been put on us. We right. didn't ask for slavery. We didn't ask for Jim Crow. We didn't ask for the black codes. We didn't ask for any of these laws to be, to be slammed on us. We didn't ask for segregation. And so we come into this job with that history and with this, this discrimination that takes place on a daily basis in our community. And so do we now have to pick between are we going to step up for our community and our career? You know, I think that's where it's totally unfair. And it's like they're put you're being put in a position that, yeah, you can come on up here with us. You can make it. You can become this guy that's making money and get us get some fame. But only if you're quiet, only if you stay in your place, because if you're going to if you're going to make a fuss, now you're being disruptive. You're messing up our product. And we might as well hire a white coach who doesn't even have to think about the back, you know, the baggage of our history. A white coach never has to really carry that weight as he goes into a job. But us black coaches, we have cousins and brothers and sisters that still live in, you know, some of our poorest communities who are looking at us saying, we need somebody to say something. You're here. You have this platform. Please save us. Speak up for us. Do something for us. And what do we do? Do we risk our careers? Do we speak up for our people? And so I think it has to be put, a spotlight has to be put on that, that, you know, we must be allowed to, to, to speak up for our communities and be leaders in our community because if we don't do it, no one will. And we can't wait for other people to do it for us because it's been 400 years. Like, it's not happening from what well, it hasn't been happening from other from other communities and other races. So we have to do it for our communities and at the same time be allowed to be successful in our careers and make, you know, have great livelihoods like everybody else. Adam Silver seems like someone who would allow that, would encourage that conversation to take place. I mean, I look at, you know, Doc Rivers, Lloyd Pierce, uh, Monty Williams, you there have been some wonderful, thoughtful pieces written in the last couple of weeks. And I think when you have the support of the Adam Silvers of the world, it makes it easier to have those conversations. But I also think the owners of the teams need to be okay with those conversations taking place as well, right? Absolutely. That's At the end of the day, Adam Silver only has so much power. Our ownership, our governing bodies – have to be 
the catalyst in having open dialogue and, and allowing uh, the leaders of their franchises and the players of their franchises to be able to express themselves with dignity. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying we, we should be out doing anything that uh, is, is out of the norm of peaceful protests. I don't think any of us want that. I don't think any of us now looking back on it can say Colin Kaepernick was doing anything but a peaceful protest. I mean, how is taking a knee is as peaceful as it gets. Uh, and what they did was they took that protest and twisted it into a whole bunch of different things that it had nothing to do with. And they tried to dilute the message of what it was all about. And so, you know, I think at the end of the day for any of us in sports, to be able to do things that are impactful for our, for our community from a leadership standpoint, uh, ownership has to be behind it. And, and, and they have to make that clear to the public that they are behind uh, their players, coaches, and, and people that work underneath them. Well, and I think Drew Brees has learned a lot in the last week, right? Because he does the interview, he talks about the flag, and people said to him, Drew, this has never been about the flag. This is this isn't even civil rights. This is human rights. And I think yeah. the number of people that educated him and we'll see. I mean, the proof is going to be in the pudding whether Drew Brees really, you know, does understand the difference and if his actions lead us to believe that he understands the difference or if he's just saying what he needs to say to get out of the hot water that he's been in in the last week. But this is about human rights. This isn't about anything other than that. And for people to try and turn this into a political issue, I think is ridiculous because everyone deserves the same human rights. Yeah, and it goes to show you what you've learned throughout your life. You know, Drew Brees was probably taught that throughout his life, that no one disrespects the flag and this and anything that someone does during the anthem is disrespectful. Well, won't put the lens on what is the flag and, and the anthem meant to black people throughout their history here, right? Like, let's be realistic. Have black people had the same rights, have been treated with the same human rights and the same dignity as everybody else under that flag, under that national anthem? I think we all, to a person, can admit, no, they have not. And so for, the, for, for, for us to... To really, you know, bring light to something that's horrific in our community that, you know, where, where there's just a total lack of humanity, uh, for our life and no one cares, you know, when no one's caring about our life or not hearing us to get people's attention, we should have that right to protest, uh, under that flag, under that anthem. And so, you know, I talk, I'm, I have a lot of close personal friends that's in the military. And if you talk to them, what you are here, a lot of times, and what they told my team in Memphis was, we fight for your right to protest that way. That is their battle every day is that we have as Americans the right to peacefully protest and to voice our concerns about our union. And, you know, so for that, for, for the kneeling to be twisted into an attack on our military, on the ideals of our country, uh, you know, it just goes to show you the power of the side that's trying to keep this system in place. Yeah. Before I let you go, what are some basic things? I mean, this sounds like such a silly question, but sadly enough, it, it, it has to be asked. What can white people do to support 
black and brown people. I know we've talked about some of the solutions with, you know, safety systems and de-escalation tactics and, and things like that during this conversation, but just on the basic front, what can white people do to support black and brown people? Well, uh, one, listen, you know, don't, don't be so locked into what you've learned over the course of your life because a lot of that is the wrong information. So listen to black people, listen, you know, try to make an effort to engage in dialogue with black colleagues, with, uh, you know, with, with black people in your community, with, with, uh, black leaders, uh, educate yourself on the history of the country through black eyes. Uh, you know, cause again, remember history is written by the winners. And so that history oftentimes is not the truth. Hmm. And so it's important that a lot of white people understand the truth of, of the black experience, the black American experience. And so educate yourself on what has been happening to black people over the course of their time in America. And then I really think that something that's important is, you know, contribute from your seat in your way, whatever that is. And, you know, what I mean by that is you have a platform, a media platform, you know, keep bringing topics to the forefront that highlight, you know, systemic discrimination and systemic racism. You know, it, it may not be, uh, police brutality in two months. It might be, uh, food discrimination. It might be what we saw with COVID, the overwhelming discrimination in the health industry. Uh, you know, it can be a lot of different things, but we gotta keep doing things from our seat, uh, that can impact the overall, uh, outcome of these things. And then don't be afraid and you don't need to be, you know, Martin Luther King, uh, out in the streets marching on everything and protesting everything, but you can be active in small ways and you can get involved in things in your community that impact black and brown people, uh, in a positive way. And I think if, if people just take it where they don't have to be a part of the home run, they can be a part of a bunt and can accept that, you know, those little bunts will add up to a, a, a great score. Uh, for our country. And so, you know, hopefully now with, with what we're seeing, more people are, are trying to get involved and do that. Coach Fizz, you're the best. Congratulations again to you and Natasha on your baby boy. Keeping my fingers crossed for everything with you guys and, uh, just keep using your voice. You are, you're such an important voice. I'm so proud of you. And, you know, the fact that you're, Really being a vocal leader during this time says a lot about you. And I've always known that, but you know, I'm glad that other people are, are getting to hear your voice during this time as well. I appreciate you, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now, like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMain.com code SBR. 
Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMain.com, code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless, CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.